Hello and welcome to Game Night Quest episode 181. I'm your host, Mike Apps, Escape from Hades four times wheels. And with with me as always. On double secret probation, David Bernie, Family Master. <laughs> and calling in from Japan this week, finally. Um, your man in Japan, Gaijin Minokutari, Michael Baker. Yay. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> Well, you didn't miss, miss much. We slightly decreased the question count from Fireminer. Don't worry, Fireminer filled it right back up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Hey, I, I marked it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Otherwise, it's, on dis it's on our little Discord thing now. Yeah. The double secret Discord. Nice. I'm just really <laughs> obsessed with the phrase double secret at this point. I apologize. Have you watched Animal House recently? Or no, Robot House. <laughs> I have, however, watched that many times. Good, good. The Superior. And I will be forced to hold the parade in their honor. Robot House! Okay, yeah, that's enough of that. Yeah, so... Hades. We Hades? Probably. Hades. Hades. I did not. No, nope. I sat around. I played the I played the demo of the new Kingdom Hearts Rhythm game, which is not like '80s at all. <laughs> but it was Kingdom Hearts, and it was a rhythm game. Man, I feel like the roguelike rhythm games is like an underserved genre at this point. There's one. There are two games in it, and they're technically both the same franchise. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Just double checking the actual episodes to make sure that we didn't get any questions <clears throat> okay yeah there's there's uh, actually a comment on episode 179 that we've looked at yeah yeah timing on that says we have not looked at that okay. uh, so, uh, so what has everyone else been playing uh, you know um Hades. Yeah, I, I gathered Xena. that. Lots of Hades. Yeah, you're finally free of Metal Max Xeno. Ugh. Oh, funny stories here for Metal Max Xeno. First of all, just out of curiosity, I wanted to see how much it's going for used. I have failed to find it for the Switch or PlayStation 4 in three different stores. Wow. Huh. The, the store that I actually sold it back to, I could not find it for Switch. Wow. I found it for PlayStation 4 in their designated sales bin. Discounted 3,000 yen. That's very bad, given how long ago it was released. <laughs> Less than a month. Um, yeah. Or yes. about a month, yeah. For, play, for PlayStation 4, 3,000 yen. Um, the see, Metal Max 3 still goes for 2,500 yen. Same store. <laughs> Metal Max... Metal Max 2 Reloaded goes for almost 6000 Holy. So yeah, yes. as it turns out, no one wanted this. Yes. No one wanted it. I cannot... I mean, if I were trying to find evidence that it existed outside and outside of going to an actual um, main retailer, I'm not sure if I would be able to find that proof. Um, okay. Out of curiosity, I was like, okay, what did the Famitsu Cross Reviews say? Um, you know, remember Cross Reviews? Yes. Yeah, so I, um, one of the stores I went to has, like, almost every Famitsu for the last four months. 
they just get new in each week and they slowly cycle them out. Yeah. So I went through every Famitsu for the months of August and September. Guess which cross review I did not find. Huh. At all. How? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I finally had to Google reviews and found one on 4Gamer and one on Famitsu that were... Um, it was interesting to read through them and see how what points they tried to be really positive on and which points they did not try to mention at all. What will we draw the veil of politeness over? <laughs> I'm thinking how much was paid to keep this quiet. Imagine having to pay people to not review your game. <laughs> Please. <Yeah. laughs> Please, just... Please. Just let them be aware that the game exists. Let them wander into it in a sleepy haze. Mm-hmm. I'm looking uh, what what day did this come out? I'm trying to find like the media create sales charts for it. Um September tenth. Okay. Well then there's no way that it was still even in the top thirty by the one I'm looking at. I'm gonna need to dig back or older. <laughs> uh nope, still. Still too recent. This one's from September 21st to 27th. There's no way it was still there. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, just making making sure. But anyway, no, the, f- the thunder news is which games I have switched to since then. Oh, that sounds much more pleasant. Yeah. 80s? So um, I went, for 3DS, I went back to the game I'd been messing around with before that. Hero Bank, mm. which the more I play this, the more I am convinced that somebody or maybe the entire development team really wanted to make a Metabots game and couldn't get the license. Because huh. it, it just kind of feels like it should be Metabots. <laughs> I can just imagine that. I mean, that's that's other... one of those things. It's like, eh, well, we don't get the license, but we can get the spirit. Yeah. I'm not even sure if they tried for the licenses, but it's definitely following the same spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And um, for Switch, I just went ahead and blew the rest of my uh, credit balance on uh, (laughs) Hoshio Mirohito. Oh, man. Because I figure if I'm going to be playing a completely awful game, I'm going to go for the one that is honest about it. Hmm? At least it'll be a funny one. Yes. And if I ever finish it and review it, it's going to start off with, yes, this game is awful. Yes, all the things you've probably read about it are true. Here's a short list. Okay, now with that covered, why did I somehow actually enjoy this game? I mean, this game is so buggy that in battle, for the hit point totals, it won't show the ones digit. I think my favorite bug I've ever heard about it, and yeah, that one's really spectacular. Yeah. But I think my favorite bug I've ever heard about it is that, like, if you go into a menu, you can't back out of it. And so you can get into situations where it's like, well, there's nothing you can do in this menu, so you just waste that turn. Oh, oh. Actually, um, to something that they have added into the game through its emulation oh. to make it um, a little easier to work with. Yeah. First, if you press the, uh, I think it was the uh, ZR button, you increase walking speed. 
Oh, thank God. Yes. Very close. But uh, apparently they was like, okay, well, we're using the ZR. What can we use the ZL button for? The ZL button rewinds time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a useful emulation feature to give them. I mean, you can rewind it out of a battle. Listen, you could probably store almost everything you ever do in that game in the Switch's RAM and never run out. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I've been using it to uh, to cheat and make sure that I never miss an attack. So, um, because if you rewind it back to the attack prompt and, and choose attack again, it re-rolls. Oh, yeah, That's at that point, it's just kind of like playing, forcing the game to give you a fair shake. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, it's what, it's what's actually making this game playable. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. So, but I would imagine it's, uh, it's something at least. Let's see. So I've looked up, uh. Xeno Reborn, mm -hmm. the actual sales figures it managed. Uh huh. It did across uh, PS4 and Switch, which is a near 50 50 split, like within a rounding error. There are approximately mm -hmm. 12 copies between them. Uh, mm -hmm. But, like, uh, it sold about 14,000 copies. Uh huh. Uh, and then the next week it was already out of the top 30 sales. Yep. Well, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't uh, think that anyone else was... I don't think anyone that cared noted. Uh, I don't think that anyone that cared liked it, and I don't think that anyone who didn't already care learned to, so... Yep. That's what uh, you would yeah, call I know I only got it just because... Video just to say I had, to be honest. Um, yeah. But it's... It, it's a sad, sad coda for an otherwise pretty good B-grade um, B game series. So I've got uh, approximately one and a half more chances to fix it, so... Yeah. So I, I will... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I will probably be picking up Reborn 2... Out of morbid curiosity. Then we'll figure out whatever the hell, like, Code Zero or whatever the last one is. No, oh, we shall see what happens at the end. Yeah. If that but game I mean, even gets to come out. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, it still kills me that they actually subtracted stuff from the original game. I am appreciating looking at the, like... Uh, Famitsu sales charts from that period where it's like uh, games the following week that sold better than Metal Max uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, a game which has sold over 3 million units in Japan alone and is also over 3 years old <laughs> jeez yeah that sounds about right yeah, yeah. like it was beloved by no one so yeah, pour one out for good old Metal Max. Yep. Hmm. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, yeah. 
and I'm I'm trying to get my switches Wi-Fi to work again. Yeah, it, it. it just decided it does not want to play with my uh, wireless connection at home. Huh. So anytime I get a review code or want to download something, I have to go to Yume Town, the biggest shopping center, and use the free Wi-Fi there. Sit here downloading five gigabytes off the free Wi-Fi. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not getting anything large on it because, yeah, first yeah. of all, I still don't actually have an, uh, an SD card for the Switch, and second, if it's that large, I'm getting a, I'm just getting a cartridge. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I don't really, I don't have some of the issues with finding cartridge ba- um, copies that a lot of the American-based gamers in our audience had to do. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that like seems to get released. In on cartridge form in either Japan or Asia that doesn't get released on in cartridge form here. I'm not even talking about that. I'm thinking back to a conversation I saw in the main room about um, what was it um, e- Aegis Gate or whatever? Oh, Aegis Thirteen? No. Oh, Thirteen Sentinels? Aegis? Yeah, Thirteen Sentinels. Aegis Rim. Yeah, and something about if you hadn't if you didn't pre-order a physical copy, then you were most likely never going to find one. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Whereas you can, yeah, I mean, a lot of games, or like you said, even beyond the fact that anything that gets a physical release is going to have more copies available and in a more concentrated area in this country, um, plus a more robust secondhand sales industry, um, we we are seeing more games that are getting released that were originally download only, like... um, Later this month, Cadence of Hyrule is getting a physical release over here. Oh, that's really neat, actually. Same here. Next yeah. week. Cool. Okay, that's good news then. Um, I know Stardew Valley had a physical copy over here like almost six months before it got announced for the West, I think. Uh, longer than that. <laughs> like Much longer. Yeah. I need to check the dates properly. Yeah, if, but yeah. In fact, that version would sell for insane amounts over here. Yeah, I just saw the news um, updated, like, oh, yeah, Stardew Valley's getting a limited physical release. I'm like, it wasn't already physically released? <laughs> I, I, I've, seen, I've seen this in the used game store for, like, 3,000 yen. Hey. Um, meanwhile, I'm still waiting to see if 13 Sentinels gets a Switch release, because that's where I might actually finish it. I'm not playing it. I... Game that text dense on a console. It's just not. Yeah, I like, had a hard time even starting it up. It's like I, I don't want to play this on the system. Like it, by all accounts, it's really good. No, I have not seen like a bad word said about it. But it's also like I don't want to play this on PS4. You, it is not a game that really benefits from being on a console in my eyes. Yeah. Pity about that Vita version. If only uh, the Vita had limped along a little bit longer, or the uh, or Aegis Rim had come out a little sooner. But yeah, maybe someday. Mm-hmm. Probably not. We can hope. Don't don't trash my dreams, Wheels. Mm-hmm. Why not? Because I'll destroy you. How's the? How's what you've been playing going? Uh, well, Hades started to go very well. Um, 
There is followed by going very poorly. No, actually continuing to go very well because uh, somebody pointed me to some tips. One of which is one of the versions of the shield weapon you can get. Yeah. uh, Lets you. So the, the way the shield works is you can hold down the attack button and you'll sit there and block, but it also charges up like a bull rush attack. So then when you let go of the button, um, you charge in whatever direction you're pointing. Uh, and the other attack of it is you throw the shield out and it will kind of like bounce around and hit enemies. So there's like a special Zeus version of the shield you can unlock uh, pretty easily where you can throw the shield and still block an attack or or just sit there and block while the shield's bouncing around, which makes no sense, but it also makes it very easy to cheese your way through a successful run. Because mm. for most of the very hard bosses, you can sit there, throw the shield out, especially if you've buffed up the special attack and sit there and block just about everything. And it's wonderful. <laughs> so... Uh, that's how I got my first and second successful run. And then after that, I discovered a really cool bow where you fire with the normal attack. And then the normal special attack for the bow is it fires off a bunch of arrows in a spread. And with this bow, you when you hit something and then use your special, it will fire all the arrows from that spread at whoever you hit last. Uh, so if you bump buff up the special a bunch, then you can basically melt your way through the game, and it's a hell of a lot of fun. So uh, there's a lot of cool things you can do with the weapons, and I haven't even op- uh, unlocked everything yet. So uh, yeah, the game is the game is great and continues to. Uh, Continues to show me new things along the way, despite playing through the f- same four areas of Hades and fighting the same bosses. And you know, now there's options to like make things harder, which throw on some new surprises and stuff. So it's it's really really good. And I can't wait to play more of it. But that's about that. On that, other than that, I've been playing like more Pokemon and stuff, getting ready for the new DLC, which drops next week. Noted Pocket Monster. Yep. Sorry, I, I muted so I could play some more of the King's Cards. Yeah, uh, Hades rules and so I've heard. story rules, etc., etc., etc. Highly recommend it. And Probably gonna have to go back and take another look at some of uh, Super Giants games, Super Giants previous games that I haven't really looked a ton at. So you play Bastion at least, right? Not really. Well, even though it won RPG of the Year one year on RP Gamer, it's really good. I, I bought it. I have it sitting on my Xbox, and I bought the physical Vita version because I don't know. super cheap on Switch on sales almost constantly too. Yeah, so. Uh, but I have played a bit of uh, trans- Transistor, Transistor, which I think yes. people like. I I did not play that one because I think it was less of an action RPG and I wasn't in the mood at the time. It's <laughs> it's a very strange game so far, but very s- stylistic. So, which uh, yeah. MO? So yeah, 
We'll see, but yeah, I should play Bastion at some point. Right. And then there's Pyre, the Forgotten One. Yeah, I've heard good things about Pyre, but it's only on PS4, and I meh. No wonder it's forgotten. Oops. <laughs> oh, man, they finally showed the PS5 UI. They did? Does it look yeah. terrible? Uh, do you remember the new Xbox Experience UI from about eh, 10, 11 years ago? Uh, not really. Well, it looks like that. Yeah. As it turns out, UI design is a flat circle, and Sony is currently in that stage, so... Hmm. I mean, it looked more usable than the PS4s, but I think that the PS4 is just ungodly terrible, so... <laughs> like, the worst <sighs> combination of slow and difficult to read. Yeah. As long as it functions, I guess. Yeah, it looked fine. Uh, they added the ability to send... Uh, to pr record your vo party chats and send them to Sony for moderation purposes, which is... Huh? I, I'm sure that that has good uses, because moderation is always a problem on online services, but True. also... Uh, I don't trust Sony a super lot, so you know. Mm. <laughs> always, uh, always antsy about like we, we just like to record all of your t your discussion. <laughs> we may use we may sell it to third parties for marketing purposes. We may request you to say McDonald's in order to continue speaking. Do, 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 do. Remember that ta Remember that patent. That patent was incredible. Uh, which one? Okay, let me let me just make sure that I'm not. Uh... Okay, yeah, this was from just before the. Uh... This was from just before the PS4 launch, but Sony essentially filed a patent for like a like technology that would only let you that would let you skip ads as long as you yelled a brand name at it. <laughs> And so there's these incredible <laughs> patent illustrations of like some a crude doodle of a man sitting on a couch watching something, then a large burger on appearing on screen, and the words "Say McDonald's to end commercial," and then the man what standing fuck? up, holding his arms out, and shouting "McDonald's," <sighs> and then it ends. It's it's truly hellish. Thankfully, they never seem to have made good on that patent. God willing, they never will. They only have 13 years left on it, so... Uh, uh. So, yeah. Uh, lovely. Lovely nonsense. I'm trying to yeah. remember who filed the patent that had, like, this tiny robot that just had the speech balloon coming out of it. He looks like he should die weird well as for the commercial saying i'm pretty sure i have read that dystopian novel oh yeah yeah fair few yeah i'm trying to remember which one it was because it was like like hyper capitalist dystopia yeah yeah it's it's dipped as directly into that as seemingly possible um Let's see if i can find this uh what incredible. i thought was the title that's within a board game um <laughs> wrong one Oh, no. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, never mind. Yes, Merchant of Venus is the board game. Merchants is the novel. Ah. Oh. And it's Frederick Pohl, 1972. Yeah, it's about right. Yeah, yeah. You must endorse capitalism. Yep. Well, this is one of them. It's not the main one I was thinking of, though. The one, the main yeah. one I was thinking of was the main character was actually an ad consultant, advertising guy. And mm -hmm. it was talking about how they're one, like his job was one of the most powerful ones on the planet. <laughs> oh, well. Okay. So, shall we get to some questions? Probably. Sure. Probably, yes. Let's see. Oops. Let's see what we got here. Oh, wrong. I, I do want to hit this one in the comment section from 179 before we... Please, uh, first, yes. Yeah. Uh, this one's from Krull. Uh, this one's a, episode inspired a few questions. Which defunct developers do you most mourn the loss of today and why? Mm. There's a lot of, like... I'm going to go with Quintet first. Just oh, because I've, was... I've played their last game. And I was very sad to see him go. Uh, I've, the last game of theirs that I've played is... I think they were involved in the Grandstream saga. Yeah, that was effectively Blazer 4. Yeah. yeah, and it's not good. No, it wasn't very good. It had some interesting ideas. It's trying. I mean, the third boss had like a variable geometry um, battleground. It was kind of weird. Um, yeah, it's trying. It just it doesn't seem like they really came to grips with how to make a good PlayStation game. Yeah, which is why they. Um, I mean, their last two games were both uh, licensed titles. Oh. Uh, one one of them was a uh, Full Metal Alchemist game. Oh. Which I have not played. The other one was a completely unnecessary sequel to Hoshin Engi. Oh my. Yeah. Which, I mean, I wrote the review for this earlier this year, and I was like, was like, first of all, I was able to, I was able to pick up it was a quintet game without even looking at any of the documentation, because just from the way the main character's head would nod, and he would start tapping his foot impatiently if you didn't move him around for a while. Mm -hmm. That and the very first area had some very obvious similarities to um, how quintet liked to design buildings and towns in Illusion of Gaia. Uh, yeah, Things like yeah. that. And it had some really cool little ideas, and it was very obvious that somebody else was in control of the plot. Yeah. Um, because you could tell that they were trying to add in little extra interesting things on the side. Um, as Wherever uh, they were allowed to. Pretty much. Um, but the main quest line, you could just go straight through it without doing any of the side stuff and not getting a lot of the extra items. Um, and it was very dull for the main uh, quest line. Now I'm just like imagining like doing a bracket tournament for the worst adaptation of like any of those classic Chinese novels that's been readapted like a million times. I mean, well, I mean, Hoshin Engi is a modern wuxia novel. Yeah. But, uh, and, and I still have the PlayStation game on my shelf. I really need to actually play it sometime. Because I, I spent like half an hour or an hour with it a couple years ago and I was deciding whether or not to sell stuff and it was one that made my keep it list. So. Yeah, I mean like 
Like, mo modern is kind of relative when you're talking about the uh, Feng Shen Yan Yi. Yeah. 16th but, yeah, century, uh, but yeah, relatively modern compared to some of the others. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought it was... I thought it was actually based. Wait a minute. I thought Hoshinengu was based on a modern novel that was itself based on an, a classical. I think officially they're both based off a of, like. I'm not sure if the if Hoshinengi claimed to be based off of a more modern version of the story. Like you would probably know that better, but they are both technically based off of Feng Shenyanyi. So well, let's see. The game itself is based off of the manga series. Okay. And yeah. The manga series is based off of the Ch Chinese classic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, all things considered, with some of the stuff that actually appears in the manga and the video game, I would count that as being different enough to be counted as modern. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, it's uh, it, it's got its own like Taoist high-tech stuff. Mm. So. Yeah, no, now I'm remembering like looking down lists of weird old Famicom games and seeing some of the yeah. so, like titles with like this was one of those things that like made me aware of how often some things get readapted re in like really strange fashions because I was like looking at a list of Famicom games and saw Idle Huckenden <laughs> which is a lot to take in. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. But let's see, but going back to the question of game developing studios. Yeah. Uh, Createk. Oh, Createk, yeah. <laughs> Ring lives large in your mind at this moment. Yes, because quite obviously it no longer exists. <clears throat> but yeah. But I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the others I could think of, they still exist in one form or another. I mean... Like, Old Wolf Studio is now Tales Studio and Triace, still. It has been Triace. for a long time. Yeah, I mean, like, since the um, mid-90s. So, um, what was it? Was it Quest, or who made Ogre Battle? That was Quest. They got absorbed by Square uh, yeah. right before, like, FF Tactics, I think. Well, half of it got absorbed by Square. Oh, yeah, because there was another half that kept making Ogre Tactics Ogre games. Yeah, because that was the only series that ever made them any money. So they had they managed to do like two remakes, two or three remakes, um, Ogre Battle '64 and Night of Lotus before the rest of the company just finally called it quits and let Square buy them out completely. Oh man, there's actually. Uh, and then the team got back together, and hey, we got Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. And now I'm just remembering the most obscure uh, Ogre Battle spinoff, the Neo Geo Pocket Color one. Yeah, that one was, it was actually mostly a, a remake, but it was a paralogue kind of. Yeah, it took place inside the original Ogre Battle. Yeah, it's just it's just a very strange thing that it existed because like there was not a lot of support for the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Yeah, it's just it's it's something that needs to be re reminded about a lot of these little old studios. The reasons they don't exist anymore is because they had exactly one real hit. Yeah, that, like once that, that franchise goes away, they can't really move on to something else. Or if they just can't follow up on the franchise. Yeah. I mean, if they do, then they manage to survive as a B-list series for a while, like Metal Max did. Yeah. And Ogre Battle. Um, they're both very popular with their fandoms. They're well-remembered. They don't make good 
any games out of it anymore, or good games out of it anymore. Yeah, so. it, it it just became like uh, I mean, like they also suffered, you know, a pretty big brain drain when Square bought like half of them. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I'm I was amazed that two of their best games were released between the two buyouts. Yeah. Person, person of Lordly Caliber was really something that was like, <laughs> it was weird that you made this on N64, but boy, that system needed it. <laughs> it's like, it's, I mean, if I can only count the number of good games on the N64 with both hands, it's probably my left pinky. <sighs> so, I love N64's, li- like the N64's library, but it's not good if you want RPGs of any stripe. Yeah, it's like, nope. your options are that and Paper Mario. Which is why I'm really hoping Square just decides to do a Ogre Battle collection eventually. That would be nice. There's not... I, mean, I mean, they bought out Quest. So effectively, they have the IP available if anyone does. Yeah, they they would be a lot like they own the Tactics Ogre IP seemingly, and thus Ogre Battle. Like I don't think those were ever treated as separate IP to be sold. So, but, yeah, I mean, like. They've re-released them in the past, like Person of Lordly Caliber and I think the Super Nintendo game were both on Virtual Console. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Knight of Lotus might have even been on Wii U vir- Virtual Console at some stage. Really? I still but, got them on the Game Boy Advance, but... Yeah, know, there, was, there were GBA Virtual yeah. Console games on Wii U. I think Knight of Lotus might have even been on there, but I'm not sure on it's that. Possible. They got, like, Atlas was a big... Atlas... Uh, localized that in the U.S. and they were kind of a big supporter of that. So, like, they would pro- of putting just stuff on Virtual Console. So, it wouldn't surprise me if it had somehow made its way. But I can't find uh, this. Might be a fever dream because I can't seem to find evidence that it happened. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Quest is a bit of a shame. Yeah. But yeah, Quest is. I mean. They did manage to make an interesting variety of games. Um, and the Heaven and Earth series, uh, the Blazer series, was probably the best section. Whether it's three games or five games depends on your personal interpretation of it. But I will count so. Act Razor 1, but not 2. <laughs> yeah. Act Razor 1 is what I was thinking of. Act Razor, Soul Blazer, um, Illusion of a Game. including uh, Grand Stream. And might as well, just to make it five for the name. <laughs> the, yeah, that's a... The game's not awful, but I did not have fun. Yeah. I don't think I finished it in college, but I did actually make it at least three quarters of the way through. Is that the I game remember where all the characters look like they have no faces? Yep. Yeah. Okay. But that was partly an issue with PS2 and learning how to do it. Or PS1. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a very PS1 game. I think it was a bad trade-off on their part, but I understand why they did it. Well, uh, you know what? I think there is a question in this huge list here. Let me see if I can find it. Um, it always threw Maybe me. it wasn't here. Where was it? it there, always... we, had a, we had a question somewhere in here about... Th- um, 3D versus sprites. Where did it go? Did it get buried up here in the podcast section? 
Oh, and oh, a few more from Berserk Alucard here that I forgot we had. Got my but well, which, whichever well. question I'm thinking, whoever asked this question, I don't remember, but it was basically, um, do you think the trade-off or the uh, the upgrade to 3D for the PS1 uh, generation was a good idea? Pretty much. I, I mean, good idea was never really in the cards. It's It was inevitable. Yeah, but I mean, I think what they're saying more is like, I mean, in retrospect, it's pretty obvious that the sprite-based stuff still looks better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but it's it's kind of one of those things where, yes, the PS1 can actually handle 3D polygon graphics now, and that is being billed as the way of the future, and if we're not trying to improve it and work with it, then we are not going to sell anything. I mean, it's also that, like, a lot of the reason that PS1 games have aged poorly is because we've developed new techniques for how to construct 3D games. And yeah. so, like, if there weren't those old games where people were doing those experiments, those techniques would likely not have been developed or developed quickly. So it's yeah. kind of the, the natural stepping stone that has to happen. And then there's also the issue that with 3D graphics, the better they get, the closer they get to photorealism. And that just makes it even more obvious where the, ish- the problems are. And the sprite-based stuff is more like watercolor painting. Or you can do the Guilty Gear thing and go completely nuts recreating the look of 2D things in 3D. <laughs> oh, that too. I mean, that's effectively what some of the later Pokemon games did. Yeah, I mean, you can, like, people have gotten better at making stylized 3D over time, and that's partly because people kind of saw the limitations of trying to make realistic 3D and started moving in other yeah. directions. Yeah. And I think this, ga- this question was actually in reference to Suikoden 2. I mean, the 3D Suicodens do not look a patch on Suicoden 2, but Suicoden 1 is kind of an ugly game, too. So. Yeah. And, I mean, pretty games can be awful, too. I'm, I'm remembering um, Athea. That was a PlayStation 1 Athea, which had hmm. really beautifully done character sprites. Should look at this. And a really dull game, or dull plot, and railroaded massively. And a battle system that started you off at disadvantage almost every single time. That's regrettable. <laughs> no, I mean it was a it had a, a um, or the battle system was very focused on um, on um, oh, positioning and um, team layouts, and every time you had a random battle the game would pick a random direction from which you were attacked. And your formation would get shifted depending on which way you're facing versus which way the enemy's coming from. So Hmm. almost every single time you would have to waste a turn at the start to turn everybody in the right direction. Hmm. Well, that's obnoxious. (laughs) Very. So... So, yeah, regrettable. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I I do love, you know, proper sprite-based games, but, I mean, they run into their own issues as you uh, increase resolution in a way that, like, people seem to take issue with. I don't... I, I am not 
a resolution chaser, as has probably been clear throughout this uh, the run of this podcast. I think that once you get above like 500p, my eyes stop being able to tell the difference unless it's pointed out to me. But yeah. higher resolution sprites are exponentially more expensive and thus kind of a problem. And then like the ways to get around that involve doing heavy, heavy like leg work and a lot of like odd jointing and puppetry and rotation that can look quite unsettling by itself. So I'll talk about sprite puppets and sprite jointing. No. Too bad. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's my thought process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad that we have reached a point where there is appreciation for sprite work and it's for its own sake. I wish that there that more institutional knowledge about sprite work had been maintained. I feel like a lot of indie developers that work with sprites at this stage are often essentially being forced to relearn lessons that were learned over the course of the eight and sixteen bit eras that have been lost. Mm-hmm. But I mean like it's it's like the PS1 and N64 and Saturn were probably too early to make convincing uh, 3D for the most part, but it was inevitably how you sold the new systems to the market. Of like, you can look at what you can do. You can walk into the screen, look at it. <laughs> so that'd be my thoughts. Your thoughts, Wheels? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Wheels is, in fact, actually just a normal mapped uh, cylindroid. True. There's, a, there's no physical modeling of any of the treads on those tires. Just, just all texture tricks. <laughs> Sorry, I've been thinking about uh, normal mapping a lot today. Uh, it's not an interesting thing to think about, I promise. Uh, is that why you sent me that weird Wikipedia text earlier? Uh, no, that was a different, uh, weird technological dissociative fugue that I went on. Okay. This was, this was about the, that was about, I was thinking about analog HDTVs, which were an experimented thing from like the late eighties. Uh, (laughs) Japan had an analog HDTV format that broadcast via satellite from like 1993 to 2007 that was built on a concept uh, called multiple sub-Nyquist encoding. It's incredibly complicated. Uh, But it's fascinating to me that it existed at all. Uh, And that's why you could buy a 1035 interlaced uh, copy of Terminator 2 in Japan on Laserdisc in 1993. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, that's that's well, not useful information to anyone, but I just wanted to rant about it. Uh, well, the, oh, found, found a good question on Fireminer's list to go back into the 2D, 3D discussion. Yeah, yeah. Number two, will Bandai Namco make a 2D sprite-based Tales game? Or no. will Arise be the default look from now on? And the answer to that is no, because there's no longer a need for a 2D-based game for yeah. any of the architectures they work with. Yeah, so there's there's a few things to mention about this. One is that like 
two, the last thing 2D Super made sense on was the DS. Like, we kind of have to come to grips with that. Yeah, uh, that would that be the Tales of Hearts. Yes. Yep, Tales, Tales of Hearts. Hearts and Tales of Frogs. Yeah. Yep, and, like, after that, it no longer made more sense technologically, and there's just not enough audience... There's not enough of the Tales audience that will... Uh, that can make it clear to them that they care about it versus, like, just buying the next one. So yeah. I think they're they're just going to all look like they kind of do now. Yeah. In which case, we'll end up with an, probably end up with a situation where somebody decides to make their own Tales-like game with the 2D. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that would be something I would be interested in seeing. But Actually, I can think of a few games that basically did that. I've definitely seen some games that have tried similar, although they're not coming to mind for some reason. There was a game on um, PSP like that, though I cannot remember the name of it. Well, let's see. DS Dengeki Gaku and Cross of Venus was basically a um, uh, basically a Tales game where you only had the one main character on screen with a sidekick. Hmm. But it was definitely that style of battle. Some really, really weird enemies. Uh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I don't really see anyone with decision-making power at Namco really having an appetite to revive 2D Tales games. Uh, mm -hmm. And I mean, like, they, they've been trying to... They clearly had... Excuse me. <laughs> they clearly had... Thank you. Uh... They clearly had some issues with what to do with that print with Tales as a whole after. Uh, oh, why am I spacing his name? Baba, what's his first name? Uh, the the longtime series producer who left after Berseria. Uh, let's see. I'm sure that if I Google, I will find. But yeah, like they seem to have had some issues with uh, essentially what to. Okay, yeah. Technically, he left in the middle of production for Berseria, but they seem to have had issues when Hideo Baba left, and they seem to have like issues identifying what they wanted to do with the series going forward after that. Just why it's been like for a series that used to come out like essentially once a year, like Clockwork. To have been off for like four years at this stage. It's pretty surprising. Yeah, I think that there was definitely some internal shakeup in his absence about what the future of the franchise even was. And uh, I don't think, for, for good now, I don't think it's 2D. Uh, listen, cons consoles aren't even built to push bitmaps around anymore. We have to live with that. All your all your all your modern two D games are just three are just polygons without a, a depth dimension. Isn't that true of like um, Shovel Knight, or at least that's... it is true of Shovel Knight? But I mean, it's true of most two D games because yeah. like console consoles now are built to move polygons around the screen, and moving bitmaps uh, bitmap like rotation and transforms make less sense on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I mean, that's to be to be real with you. That's been at least to some degree true for decades at this point. Uh, if you ever look at the under the hood of the Street Fighter Alpha ports to PS One, yeah, they they all use flat drawn polygons. Huh. That's how Castlevania Symphony of the Night works as well. Interesting. Yeah. There's a Digital Foundry did a good video on the PS1 and Saturn versions of Symphony of the Night and why the Saturn version is such garbage. <laughs> but fundamentally the reason is it's it's just a part of the PS1 game and thus it tries to do things the way the PS1 version does and Saturn's super not built for that. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's an appetite for it. That's sad to say. Is there any uh, other ones that were sticking out as something you wanted to bring up in regards to this? Mm. Nah, not work too. Not, not drawing anything really. Let's see. Okay. Different question here that just caught my eye. Number five. Is remaking already good games instead of bad games missing the point? Hmm. Uh, I don't think so, personally. But I do think that if you're just making the same game again, you have missed the point. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, part of the point here is that if people are wanting a remake of something, it's because it was popular in the first place, and so it was probably pretty good in the first place. Yeah. I, I think that, like, I do sympathize with the idea of, like, there's a lot of bad games that are close to being good games that a remake yeah. could resolve and no one's going to bother. Yeah. But... And in, in his examples here, it was like Final Fantasy VIII is in, wait, is in a dire need of a remake more than seven. And then he mentions Unlimited Saga or Legend 1. Um, Legend 1 did get a remake. <laughs> yeah, it did, actually, for Wonderswan. We, we'd love to see it again. Um, Legend 2 and 3 did get great remakes. And uh, Romancing Saga is exactly the kind of thing that he's talking about here because it was not a good game to begin with. Yeah, It was, a, it was however, game. the pet creation of the guy who's currently in charge of Square Enix. Um, so, or at least has enough sway to get projects made just because he wants them. <laughs> I know. I I don't remember exactly where he was on the corporate hierarchy. He's really into he's like executive to level. To make no difference here. Yeah, he's very much on, on like uh, as. Let's see. Where is Kawazu's actual like rank at this stage? He's really high on the corporate ladder at this stage. So, uh, yeah. Pretty much the entire reason that Saga exists still is because he's up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's a baby. He just, he, just yeah. he wants that he wants to get his extra crack at that because those were games that he cared about. And I mm. like that's the reason that Saga, like uh, as much as it's divisive, like it's always got it, there's never a question about the people making it caring about it because only people who care about it would actually make it <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah which is why i do think we may actually see an unlimited saga remake one of these days yes please because i mean the worst the worst thing about that game was mainly its interface yeah and just generally like it being poor at communicating what you're going for i mean that would be the entire interface issue yeah, yeah. i mean the fact that the the best F, the best um guide to how to play it that you can find on GameFAQs is like over a thousand 
in size. Just explaining it. There's a nice video yeah. series on YouTube that explains a lot of things. I like how you said video series. <laughs> it needs a series. Get your yes. doctorate. Pretty sure How to Use Magic was more than one video. It is. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Uh, I, I thought of a really good example for this of why we should should remake good games, though. Mm-hmm. And something that came out this year, Trials of Mana. Like mm-hmm. yeah. that original oh, game. Oh, they just patched that, by the way. I saw that. That original game is, you know, it's very good. It's totally fine. But by remaking it, they can bring it to a whole new audience and also modernize that whole series in a way that kind of provides a possible path forward for the Mana series that hasn't seen it. A series that had been so directionless for so long. Yeah, exactly. So, and I feel like East kind of did this as well with... um, Oath and Falgana. Oath and Falgana. Although E6 came before that. E6 is like... Oath and Falgana is like also sort of refining E6 to help them be sure of what they want out of it. But it's also like it's taking a game that was not popular, to put it charitably, (laughs) and making it one of the most beloved games in the series. Yeah. Yep. Yep. and, like, that's one of those reasons that people do want these remakes of games that weren't spectacular at the time. Because, like, oh, that's, you know, the, there are some things where it's like, oh, these ideas just didn't quite work in their original form. But, I mean, also, like, I think that a remake isn't wasted as long as it can bring a new perspective to the game. Right. Like, Which like, is why, you know, Reborn is a waste. But, yes, okay. Yeah. The Secret of Mana remake was also... <laughs> Well, Secret of Mana remake was not a remake. It was an improved port. Yeah, it was weird. Whereas, like, you get something that's like, oh, they made a different kind of game out of it that brings a very different perspective to what the game is and can be. Quite a different one. Yeah, or like. Final Fantasy Adventure, there was the cell phone remake with much improved graphics, which I wish they had made, done more with. And then there was the... Sword of Mana, which is crazy. <laughs> I love Sword of Mana, to be honest. Um, it was yeah, a good one. but it's a very different game. Yeah. Like, it was a reboot more yeah. than a remake. I, there's, there's still Dark Lord in there, but that's about it. <laughs> I mean, the entire... I mean, all the basic stuff in the game original game is also in sort of mana. It's just, it's been reinterpreted heavily. Yeah. And like, those are the remakes that are interesting that are like, I don't think that there's much purpose in a remake attempting to replace its predecessor. I think that like a remake should like, even, even if it's a remake of a bad game, like plenty of people won't want to play the original anymore, but like, if it's just trying to replace its predecessor, it'll probably still be bad. <laughs> but, like, you know, you bring that new perspective, it's like, you know, this, uh, you can you can find something that is worth playing separate from its relation to the original. At least that's mine. Yeah. Hmm. You, Wheels, I know that you're very busy with this uh, Hades run where you're, you appear to be getting owned. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm playing on PC where I don't have all my stuff, so 
Oh yeah, cross save is not yet compatible. Correct. It's coming. Yes. Yeah. I've heard that the Switch version is good though. It's fantastic. Uh, I have not seen like any slowdown. Um, the initial load time of the game is a little slow, but not even not that bad. And other than that, the load times are totally fine. So. I mean, I can take a, a slow initial load because I mean, like half the time, I'm just gonna sh put it to sleep anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, Rematch. Trying to think. Yeah, uh, I do. I do personally agree that I think that FF8 could use a remake, but that it's also never ever going to have the critical mass of like pure to actually get one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could. It, it could stand to have a better presentation for its story and some major tweaks to the junction system. And better yeah, and time just... compression. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, that, not even leaving that one out, but something like make, giving a max benefit from a junction so you don't have to worry about keeping, like, all of your 99 of a particular oh, yeah. spell. Or even just a better way to it. get spells. Yes. Yeah. Like, even if you could just Buy them in a shop. Since yes. they're also your weapon and armor, it feels like you ought to be able to. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just one of those things like, yeah, I, it's it's hard to justify for a large company like, we're going to take this game that people have been complaining about for decades and we're going to remake it in favor of making a new game or making a remake of something that they already know they like. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes they get the chance to fix a game, and they end up somehow perfectly reproducing the original despite making a completely new game. I'm not still bitter about Resident Evil 3 Remake, I promise. Is it not good? It's that it is exactly as mediocre as the original. Oh, that's a shame. It is still following up an incredible game, which in this case was the Resident Evil 2 remake. Yeah. And it is still content to do the bare minimum. Ugh. Worth playing once, much like the original. But that's a case where you didn't want to recreate the original. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's the remake uh, discussion. Uh, I want to. Dave, you pick a new question. I was going to say I want to hit some of the questions that uh, weren't from Fireminer, since we don't have those in a big document. So. <laughs> okay. Um, scrolling up a bit, there was one from. Uh, what was it? I, I just saw this one. Um, Berserk Alley Card. Mm -hmm. Um, she's got two in here. One here is, uh, what are your favorite swords? Hmm. Sword of Mana. <laughs> Do you, is that actually? Man. No. But actually, that, that no. would count. Music. Bonus <laughs> points for interesting lore, backstory design, RPGs, and fantasy genre, etc. So, yeah, the Sword of Mana from Secret of Mana would count. Or from any of the Mana games would count. Yeah, they're kind of uh, all about the big sword. Yeah. Um, the sword. The singular sword. The yeah. crazy sword from Final Fantasy VI. I think it was in the original translation called like the 
is it like the Atma sword or something? Atma weapon, which is yes. just Ultima weapon. Yes. That yeah. One. The one that was powered based on your max, on your current max HP. Yes. Like that. Which really, really got the got them started on this idea that your ultimate weapon should be should have some sort of damage calculation modifier that it's technically hiding from you. <laughs> If you've yeah. never looked at the damage calculations in all of FF10 Celestial weapons, how none of them are the same. Well, that's uh, weird. That t- tells me that Kawazu was involved somehow. They're, they they made a choice. I. Oh boy. Um, but yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh yeah. So like the, so like for example, Titus's Calibolk has kind of the traditional. Uh, Ultima weapon tr- calculation. Uh, 10 plus 100 times uses current HP plus uses max HP plus 110. Uh, basically, just a big long calculation to get at more HP good. Uh, but Yuna's does like kind of the same thing, but it's based off of her max MP. But yeah, uh, some, some of them get strange. FF7 also has a ton of them that have strange calculations. My personal favorite is Vincent's death penalty, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, is takes forever to get strong, but also has like a horrendous sanity check on it. <laughs> uh, because basically it gets stronger for its power goes up as he kills things. Mm-hmm. It's this idiot. It's this idiotic. Uh, it's this idiotic number this idiotic thing that's like power equals 10 plus vincent's number of kills divided by 128 divided by 16 if he gets to like 65,000 as many as much as you can hold in like a random 32 bit integer uh-huh. uh is it 16 bit yeah uh, whatever doesn't matter certain integer type if he gets too high like it would underflow such that he would end up healing the enemy so instead if it gets that high it just instantly kills them. <laughs> and it will do that on Emerald Weapon, so that's fun. Oh. Uh, yeah, like yeah, that's I mean, anti-check If you manage to get it to that point anyway, you're probably over-leveled even for Emerald Weapon. Oh, no, it's absolutely impossible to do that without getting him to max level, because you just, you have to kill 60,000 enemies. That is more than you will encounter an entire game worth. Yeah. It's mostly just funny to look and see him do one attack and Emerald Weapon just dies. I don't even think it pops up a damage number. It just dies. The, now that I think that I think this trend goes back to Final Fantasy V, because that was where the Brave Sword and Chicken Knife show up. Yeah, that's kind of the beginning of like giving a weapon like a really funky damage calculation. Yeah. Chicken Knife's way better, by the way. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, they they kind of, like, but that was before, like, FF5's funky because, like, it has a bunch of weapons that are all kind of vying for the top spot and are all useful in different situations. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, with 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, like, they all have, like, a specific best weapon for most characters that all have, like, there's something funky about how they da- calculate damage. Uh... In terms of raw design, uh, I have, like, baby bird brain disease when it comes to Final Fantasy VII, so I just like looking at the Buster Sword, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
that was that was probably not a huge surprise to anyone. Uh, the Master so. Sword is a good one. Oh yeah, yeah, and you can like tell that they sort of like one of the, one of the things I always liked. Uh, I'm not huge on Wind Waker, but one of the things I liked was that when you first get the Master Sword, you see it and you can tell it's wrong, even if you haven't looked that closely at the Master Sword before. And then they like make that a point of like, oh no, it's not powered up. And then like when it powers up, it looks like it's supposed to. <laughs> so that was that was a cute trick that they pulled. Uh, I can think of all sorts of fun little swords from the Saga games that were uh, just a hoot to work with. Glass yeah. Sword. Glass Sword is a good one, um, especially if you're playing the uh, Saga 2 remake and you manage to get a um, combo attack with that thing. Because that will really mess up the final boss. <laughs> final strike. Yay. But um, like there was some that showed up in other game. Actually, Romancing Saga Two was good for this. They had a bunch of specialty swords. Yeah. Like um, like the Tatsumitsu blade that was your one access to an, an ability called Exorcist. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's sort of hidden on yeah. one or two specific yeah. set weapons. Or the Splasher Sword, which had molecular oh, yeah. disintegration. <laughs> that was fun. Um, and not just the swords, but like the amethyst axe that had that lets you cast body double, or phantom fighter, mm-hmm. and the tourmaline axe, which had an, a, a specialty attack called electric boomerang. So that's a, that's a very intimidating name. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, but yeah, the the weapons, the the higher level weapons in Romancing Saga too. A lot of them had very specific abilities locked in that you could or that you could spark and it was just really fun working with some of these things good excuse to to sort of go after weapons that might not uh, otherwise like you know statistics are less interesting in that game so (laughs) yeah yeah, those ones stick out in terms of actual game design and general. And, uh, yeah. Swords, swords, swords. Any other good ones? Anything in Disgaea where you can basically use a fish or something as a sword? (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, anything can be a sword if you try hard enough. Yeah. Or um, this one obscure Game Boy Advance game called um, Samurai Evolution no Kokogeist, where it was basically Pokemon if you could convert the Pokemon into weapons. <laughs> and by and if, by Pokemon, you mean literally anything that is willing to let you absorb it to use as a weapon, including NPCs and your main... Your, main character even um (laughs) or the alternate main character you you had a choice of two and the other one would eventually be become one of your weapons hmm yeah oh this does remind me i I just remembered one of my favorite uh weird bugs i've ever read about uh but uh 
Apparently there was a bug in the Japanese version of FF6 where you could just equip anything to anything. Mm-hmm. So, you get... Okay, yeah. You have to sell all the items that a character can possibly equip and put the item one wants to equip in the last slot, the 256 slot. Pressing optimize will equip the item in the 256 slot to that character. And it will sometimes cause their stats to increase in very strange way. For example, equipping the drill as an attack, uh, which is one of normal, uh, one of Edgar's tools, gives the character 255 defense and magic defense. Oi. Which is incredible. And in conclusion, just wear a drill on your head. Just do it. Wouldn't you just be Mr. Driller then? Do 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 I'm not sure what you were expecting, Wheels, but uh, you should have expected this. True. Yeah. Uh, uh, in conclusion, make whatever you want a sword. Make Wheels a sword. Mm hmm. Real sword, or um, the sword Pokemon. Oh yeah, uh, what's his name? Zekin. Onage. Zekin. Oh, are you double edge? Oh, you mean Aegislash? Yeah, yeah Aegislash. Thought you meant the actual legendary from Pokemon Sword. That's not literally a sword. Hmm. They were, they they backed themselves into a corner with that. Yeah, Aegislash is great. I'm still mad they didn't make a regional variant. Missed opportunity. Too obvious. Too obvious, but still, come on. Come on. No. Come on. I won't. Come on. No. Okay, fine. Alright, what else we get? Uh, Zerk Alucard also asked about uh, RPGs with strong world buildings. Nearly finished Trails of Cold Steel, and it's a great example of world building and background lore. There are many different factions, movements, and depth. I found it hard to think of any RPGs that pack in, pack in as much, JRPGs at least. Souls board games are good at un in terms of unobtrusive lore. Any good examples you guys can think of? Uh, Hades? Fair. <laughs> uh, I can't mm. speak to that one as well. Uh, but lore. Yeah, I, lore. Oh. Just like depth of lore or... Depth, breath, whatever you want. Seems pretty um, good form. Romancing Saga, Minstrel Song. If you look into like the descriptions of items and just random commentary, and it becomes more and more obvious as you go along that this is probably Kawazu's personal Dungeons & Dragons campaign setting. <laughs> I feel like saga games are actually usually pretty good at like imbuing a sense of like history and breadth yeah. to their world. Yeah, well, the original Romancing Saga was probably at the height of the game there because... That's fair. You get references to a type, basically a Titanomachy 
um, event, you have an entire pantheon of de- of older deities that no longer exist in the world because they decided to pick up and move on. Um, you've got just like random lore involving dragons and monsters and uh, just just pops up in the weirdest places at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a uh, one thing that I've always felt about lore is that like. If you are telling a story that is about characters, you can just never foreground this. It, it always has to be something that the player yeah. will pick up rather than a thing they have to focus on. And so that's, I mean, looking at that, I remember one of my original reactions to Final Fantasy Thirteen was that this would be a lot more interesting if I didn't actually have to read a lot of the background lore to begin with. And if my TV were HD and I was able to actually read <laughs> the background lore side of events, um, but um, I remember com- like chatting with somebody on Facebook and saying basically that like Final Fantasy Thirteen structure reminded me much more of a novel, mm-hmm. including the fact that there was large sections that you probably should have been had available to read between stuff happening. Yeah, uh, like there's so much that's just buried in that game's encyclopedia. Yeah, and. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the problems that people had with the like the, um, the way things unlocked and progressed in that game came from it being more of a novel format, where you did not um, the um, if it were being told as a novel, then having the characters split up at certain times, having certain things not become unlocked until later, makes a lot more sense. Um, if it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, 13 is it, a yeah. weird beast. Yeah, it was just like they had they had some really good ideas for a story. They had some really good possibilities for characterization. It just was not in a format that was conducive to a video game. It feels like a script that was not sufficiently adapted, which Yeah. It's one of those things like because or, or adapted to the wrong thing. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where, like, I, I don't want to, I don't dislike 13, but it is, like, always something that looms large in the mind of, like, in my mind of, like, there's a lot of lore here, and you need to know too much of it to get the basic premise of this game. Yep. <laughs> like, you'll... And again, that's why, that's why having it as a novel would have been better, because you could have at least allowed for a bit better info dump at times. Yeah. Because there's all this stuff that's just buried in the encyclopedia. And, like, the people I know who like 13 the best are always the ones who sat around and read the encyclopedia. And it's just like, and they're like, oh, it's got all this, there's all this great stuff in here. And it's like, yeah, but I'm playing a game. (laughs) And so there's a lot of stuff that if you aren't reading that encyclopedia, things sort of happen for reasons that aren't super clear. It's it's a shame. Like there's there's some good writing in there, but it's, uh, it's largely wasted on a story that like uh, I mean like there's there's good writing in the lore and there's good writing in the characters and the two can't seem to agree with each other, so uh, or at least can't seem to come together in a cohesive way. Uh, but yeah, I've always felt like to like to to take one of the examples here. Uh, or both of these examples, really. Cold Steel has 
ton, like the Trails world has a ton of lore that it's accreted over the course of nine, ten installments at the stage. Like, if they had just put all of that in the player's lap from the off, like, that would have just been miserable. They, you know, they've just sort of built it up over time, and it's clear that they have a lot of people thinking a lot about what this world the writers are thinking a lot about what this world is and where it's going. Uh, so, you know, you, you've really got to, <laughs> you, you've, you've really got to be careful about that. Whereas you look at something like uh, Souls games or Bloodborne that have essentially no characters foregrounded. And they just, the, there is only the action. And then like, as you can tell over time, you sort of, understand based off of the few characters that do speak they're always talking about the world because the characters don't matter except in how they affect the world and so the lore can take center stage because it exists to support the gameplay the, yeah uh Let's kawazu see. generally pretty good at this uh and again romancing as as Gaijin pointed out, Romantic Saga probably the high watermark. Uh, the entire saga series as a whole tends to focus more on the world over the characters to begin with. Oh, definitely. Or uh, Legend of Legacy, where I reviewed it and it was like, yeah, this this game story is about the kingdom. It's not about the people that you're playing. It's about the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> or the, or not the, even the kingdom, the island that you're on. It's the story of the island. Yeah. Uh... Sui Koden is another one that accreted a lot of pretty interesting lore over its time. It was very good at, like, infer implying that there was a lot about this world that you didn't know and that it had a wide variety of people that you just didn't, that you would never see where they had come from. And, like, you know, a lot of lore, when it comes down to it, is implication. Yeah. Like... Which I can you tell give, you it's a lot of fun to make up stuff. Yeah, I mean, like for 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 good lore, you give the player, the player, or the reader, or whoever, you give them an out. Like you can see the edges of the outlines, and then you sort of let them decide themselves how they connect or and that sort of thing. And like because a lot of it isn't going to matter in terms of your individual story, but. People get really invested when they have that personal interpretation. Speaking personally as someone who likes to write stories like this, yeah, I've got tons of lore-based stuff that are is never going to see anything more than maybe an oblique mention in the story. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a, it's actually a lesson I took from reading through Philip K. Dick's stuff. Hmm. Uh, one of his books was called The uh, Clans of the Alphane Moon. And mm -hmm. in the introduction... The, the guy who was right, who was just talking about what he thought about Philip K. Dick, he was giving examples where Dick would just give a random detail, and it made you wonder. And he never, he would never really um, expound on what the detail was. It was just, it just happened, and you could infer that this was probably true because of this detail. And how added together it just made this really weird view of the world and things like that. So, so it's something I've been trying to live by with writing. Um, 
that and oh, a different conversation I had recently about um, brainstorming and uh, world building. And just be just because you're brainstorming and world building around your story does not mean that you should stop. You shouldn't start writing the story. Yeah, you can yeah. like r starting to write it will help you solidify what ideas actually work for what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's like okay, plug time. Princesses of the pizza parlor. Yay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, like most. I mean, when I started writing that one. Like, I had the first episode done, and I wasn't even sure how many episodes there, there were going to be. And I wasn't sure where the plot was going to go past episode four. And as it turns out, my idea for episode four didn't really work, so now it's episodes five and six, and I moved the later episode into being episode four. Um, <laughs> like I mean, that's, that's a healthy process. Like, if you get too yeah. married to, like, one idea, like, you start kind of trying to fit a square peg into a round hole writing-wise. Yeah. And honestly, it's a lot easier when you realize that, okay, I've got, I've cut the story into these sections, and I know what my goal is to get to at the end of each section, and I'm not too, I'm not too worried about how I'm getting there. I know how it's starting, I know how, it, where it's going to end, let's see where it goes. Which is kind of fun. Yeah. Which is actually really fun when you give a character a rod of wonder as a <laughs> and then you make a point of rolling the damn thing let's see where this goes and specifically there was one role in the second episode that has completely altered a that character's personal arc for the next eight episodes so far <laughs> kind of fun so <laughs> and which was not originally in the plans but hey yeah. When you, when you borrow a random table to use in the story, it's you deal with what you roll. Yeah. And that can... Like, introducing the element of, like, well, this happened, what am I writing in response to it, can really help uh, get you moving if you get stuck somewhere. <laughs> uh, and that's, a, that's a much healthier reaction than some I've gotten. Huh. Quite a few times it's like, why the hell did you even do that? Um... <laughs> Are you crazy? Yeah. Like it's it's just kind of, it's kind of an improv thing, except it's an improv exercise you do with yourself. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, it doesn't actually change the outcomes of any of the plots. Because, because I mean, I'm, like you, I'm, you always have you... that layer of abstraction because, like, yeah. you're telling a story about people playing a D and D game. Sorry, I shouldn't be over talking over you. <laughs> no, I mean it's more like I'm planning it by the episode. Mm-hmm. So if I mean, and the, like I said, the plans beyond more than three episodes in the future are often very nebulous. At least it was at the beginning, and now I know exactly what's going on for the next five episodes. <laughs> but even then, there's quite a few details that I have not decided yet. So it should TB. be fun. Hmm? Yeah, to to be determined. Yes. So. Uh, different story here. Um, my brother told me about a friend of his in college who had to, who was planning on writing a novel as part of his thesis project, and he got really into the world building and brainstorming aspects, and he never finished the book. <laughs> so he he ended up he ended his program with like several hundred pages of lore and no story. <laughs> 
Uh, sounds like what would have happened to Tolkien if he hadn't paid his bill, if he didn't have bills to pay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Like, uh, that's... I mean, Silmarillion, it is what happened to Tolkien. He's <laughs> just, he was just better at actually starting something. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things, like, it, there is always a reason for you to sit down and think about something more. And there is, yeah. and there is a point where you just have to say, good as that reason might be, I need to make something. <laughs> or in my personal case, um, during the, some or a couple of years ago, I was stuck sitting through a set of seminars like every week for four months, um, and I got really bored in the middle of these Japanese seminars. And I just started scribbling ideas on the back of papers in the middle of these seminars. And nobody there at the seminar could really speak or read much English, and so they didn't realize what I was writing. Mm -hmm. uh. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Uh. Okay, so Wheels, have you picked a one yet? Have I what? Have you picked one? A question? Oh, by the way, Dave, what was the number of the last question you chose? Uh, the last question I pulled out was uh, Berserk Alucard one, so it doesn't have a number. <laughs> uh, never mind. Yeah, duh. I was just trying to make sure that we hit some of those ones that might get lost because we don't have them in a big document. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I found the question that I was remembering and couldn't remember where it was. It was number 19. Okay, good. Was the stigmata of 2D games that big during the fifth generation? Oh, huge. Uh, let's talk about a man named Bernie Stolar. Mm -hmm. uh, if you didn't hear that, somewhere deep along, uh, somewhere on the wind, you can hear a Sega Saturn fan howling in fury. <laughs> he was uh, the man who helped launch the PlayStation, allegedly... Uh, set in motion Sony's specific nah you need to you need to focus on 3D games like that's what makes our hardware look better uh, and was also the one who uh, ultimately would kill the Saturn uh, infamously saying infamously saying in I believe 97 or 98 the Saturn is not our future hmm. if I can pull out when he said that but it was one of those points where the Dreamcast, I don't think, had been announced when he said Saturn is... Yes, he said Saturn is not our future at E3 of 1997. Oh, wow. Yikes. So, like, he was... It was before the Dreamcast had been announced. And he was basically like, no, nah, this, this thing is... This thing cannot be salvaged in the U.S. Mm. Wow. Okay. Um, okay, different question here. While wheels is still trying to decide. Okay, one right, uh, right above that last question. Is there anything too complex for RPG dialogue choices? Uh, many things. Uh. Dialogue, actually, um, voice dialogue is too complex for dialogue choices. <laughs> In a lot of cases, yes. I'm, I'm thinking of Fallout Four here. Oh God. Where, oh, God. The, where yeah, where it suffered a marked. Um, marked um, reduction in quality of plot because your main character was voiced. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be real. The reduction in quality of plot was also a lot to do with Bethesda's writers are kind of bad. 
Um, but, okay, yeah. I mean, the, the quality of choices, That's not necessarily true. the quality of writing. Yeah, yeah. They, they very much, uh, I remember the, the meme at the time was that uh, your options were yes, yes, sarcastically, and no. <laughs> to almost yes, every but, response. And yes, but really no. Yeah. And, like, that was almost every dialogue option in that game. But uh, the the one that Fireminer brings up uh, about Disco Elysium uh, is a fair one. I haven't played it, but I've read a lot about how it functions. And, like, I mean, that's, that's not even dialogue choices. That's monologue choices. <laughs> like, those are... Like, like, the gimmick of that game is that you're constantly batting around in your head what thoughts your character is entertaining. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's really complex. That There's a reason that had to be basically the entire game. Uh, but, I mean, like, that kind of web of choices that are all sort of, like, making some broad influence over how the game depicts and reacts to your character... Like, that's a mind-bogglingly complex thing to make. I can't even imagine. Uh, I, it's, there's a reason that it also had to use essentially an entirely new metaphor for how it was interacting, so. Dialogue choices are good at helping a player uh, get through essentially a 2D matrix of information. It's like, you can go in here, or you can go back out here, and it's like eh, about a max of ten choices at the top level and fewer on further levels. That's that's kind of how a dialogue tree has to function, or else it gets so complex the player can't really correlate it. But, I mean, like, otherwise you start having to get dig into weirder ways to represent how a character's thoughts are uh, are interacting uh so yeah dialogue trees actually not very good at modeling human thought is how i would describe it Hmm. they exist to model player agency choices rather than uh human interaction in fact the the best ways to make them model human interaction is generally to restrict what the player can say because otherwise you get uh oh man I'll never get over how uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, the more that you tend towards one side of light or dark side, the more that it will try to give you options that will shift you back to the center. Even Mm. if those options make no sense. (laughs) I remember a friend trying to click through dialogue options where you're talking to like a traumatized man hiding inside a locker and one of the options is to, for essentially no reason, to just stab him with your lightsaber and kill him. <laughs> there's no reason to do this, but there's especially no reason to do this if your character has been light side essentially the entire game. But for some reason, the game will like highlight it, will move it closer to the top if you're... If you're Max Lightside. So he was trying to click through it and accidentally stabbed a man to death. <laughs> Just absolutely bananas. No idea why they did it. 
Yeah, it's uh, hard to give a player a suite of options that are internally consistent for the character if you decide to try to also give them as much player agency as possible. At this uh, point, what you're really wanting is a computer capable of running a holodeck. I mean, I always want that, but I'm also just saying, like, you have to decide from the outset what you want your dialogue trees to actually model. Yeah. And then you run also, if you get that far, then you have run the risk of Professor Moriarty spontaneously creating himself in the middle of your program and trying to take it over. Listen, that's just the ultimate challenge. Yeah. I'm a... My love of the of the holodeck is also always tainted by the fact that my brain is constantly remembering the handful of hollow shed jokes from Futurama, <laughs> which uh, has one of my favorite ridiculous uh, <coughs> exchanges in any TV show ever, which is ev- uh, all of all of history's uh, villains escaping from the hollow shed. Uh, where all of history's villains means Professor Moriarty, Attila the Hun, and evil evil Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and uh, someone threatening to shoot uh, Attila the Hun with a laser, to which Attila the Hun responds, no shoot fire stick in space canoe, cause explosive decompression. <laughs> which gets uh, the logical counterpoint of Spare me your space age mumbo jumbo Attila the Hun. <laughs> <laughs> Futurama was too good for this world. Yeah. Yes. Let's see. Uh, were there any questions you wanted to bring up, Wheels, or are you still too wrapped in Hades? Uh, let's see. Where was it? Uh, number 14. Okay. Could the Saturn have been more competitive had it attracted more RPG and sports developers, or was the PS1's hold too strong thanks to Square and EA? Do you really think Square was the major thing here, Fireminer? I mean, FF7 kind of was. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) There's a lot more, though. The game sold 10 million units. All right. Like Tony Hawk and... Well, that is a sports game. Touché. Touché. But yeah, like losing EA was a huge one because that basically meant that like a huge section of the at the time fairly nation ca- casual audience was going to follow the sports games. Yep. And so like, oh, there's Madden on PS1. There's NFL Game Day on PS1. There's like six different football games I could buy on PS1. There are like maybe one or two for the Saturn. I've never actually seen a Saturn American football game. I've seen uh, soccer Saturn games, but not American football games. I see. Uh, and Sega like knew this was a problem. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's why they made their own... Uh, that's why they made their own uh, football games for the uh, Dreamcast. Like, why that suddenly became a thing. Okay, so... They got NFL Quarterback Club 1996. That came out on everything. I don't think that there's a further one after that. They got an EA NHL game that has the Whalers in it. How many uh, how many whales were on the Whalers? 
Um, Excuse me. There was also NFL Quarterback Club 97. I don't know, but they were whalers on the moon. Carrying a harpoon? Correct. The whales so tell tall tales and sing our way in tune. But yeah, it, it was not it was not a sport sports fan system. You could get quarterback attack with Mike Ditka, I think. That that was an FMV game. That was not actually a football yeah, man, game. Man, the Saturday had lots of problems. So I don't know. I think that it was it didn't help certainly. Yeah, no. Because again, the nation casual audience was more interest was interested in these kinds of games. Mm-hmm. But, uh, let's see, um, but yeah, could it have held its own a little better if it had managed to attract those? Like maybe. And maybe if they hadn't uh, ruined the end of the Genesis lifetime with a bunch of weird add-ons. That definitely hurt them a lot. Like. The, the tapestry of Sega's failures to maintain market trust is a rich one. Uh, but I would, I would say that this was not, this did not help them. So I think it's a fair question. Yeah. Uh, like the, yeah, again, losing EA support was bad. They didn't even, they didn't manage to get it back for the Dreamcast, which hurt them again. Uh, like they, but like it was, that was as much symptom as it was a cause. Like they couldn't get developer confidence because they had made a Frankenstein system. Mm -hmm. And so like the developers they got were often ones that were very good at their craft and very invested in making 2D games. But also the market was less interested in 2D games at this point, especially in North America and Europe. So you ended up with, you know, like the Saturn was the home of hardcore 2D game players that wanted to play things with names like Super Tempo and KOU Gekutai. So, uh, and I mean, those those are really neat games, but, uh, you know, they're not, they were never going to be mass market. And I mean, like, you need to look there you don't really need to look further than the fact that like the what was considered to be the shining star RPG on the Saturn uh, before it got a PlayStation port later that we got uh, was Grandia. Hey. Like that was the big game, like the big RPG. Other than like Shining Force, I guess. Hey. Hey man, I don't like your shining tone. There. I I love Shining Force, but it's also a tactical RPG, and at the time that was a more niche genre. Yeah, so it but, came out later in the Saturn's life. Yeah, it's like a ninety-seven, ninety-eight, I think. Yeah, before that there was Shining the Holy Ark, which that was. I'm not sure first where first-person dungeon crawler. Yeah, I think. I'm not sure where that genre was. In Japan at the time. In Japan, it was probably still like the wizardry fans are still howling about it yeah but i mean it, it was a dead genre in the u.s for the most part at yep. the time actually i think there was a comment maybe strawberry left it on one of the old one of the q a quests a while back about yeah. about um we were talking about how the guy who made wizardry eventually started this company that localized anime yeah anime go and apparently he got his big break when he came to japan and was trying to get some um licensing rights 
and some of the guys at the anime studio recognized him as the guy behind wizardry oh, and you're the wizardry sold, man <laughs> and sold him the rights to this one series for four thousand yen huh they just <laughs> wanted to work with the wizardry man yes <laughs> i mean that, that's a name that would open doors to you among nerds in japan massively yes uh need to find where she commented on that yeah uh but what was the other thing uh, uh the other thing on shining the holy ark that I always like to bring up is that did, that game did some interesting things with that genre that I still haven't seen done. Do tell. Like, so unlike most of those games that are usually just like one dungeon or maybe a series of dungeons with just a one hub town, it kind of functions mostly like a more traditional RPG. Like you start in one town, you go through a dungeon and end up like in another town. Mm -hmm. uh, you go through a forest dungeon and end up in like a haunted mansion and does cool things with the random encounters where instead of just, oh, you know, quick transition to a battle, it's like, oh, this monster jumped out of a jar or, oh, this monster jumped around, jumps out of this water you're next to or, you know, something jumps around the corner. There were all, everything was like more organic as far as the random encounters went. Nothing... Hmm. They weren't static. It was more all. like a D and D game. Yeah. <laughs> so, which game was this again? Shining the Holy Ark. Ah, uh, okay. And let us never speak of Shining Wisdom again. Yes, I rid myself of the copy. Finally, it's gone. You get a decent price. No, <laughs> but it was also the European oh, well. version, which is not worth as much. So. I yeah. Fair, fair. Sonic Software planning. Yes. But yeah, that's that's one of the low points of the Shining games before uh, the modern period where there were more low, low, low points. Uh, I say modern period, but I'm mostly dunking on games from 15 years ago. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Saturn was not, to my understanding, a huge RPG system. It definitely had some, but it didn't typically have the big names, which it kind of needed. Yeah. I mean, even just like Sega's normal fare, like there was no good Sonic game <laughs> on the Saturn. That, that's a huge one. And like the, the, if you've never read about the actual development cycle of Sonic Extreme that nearly killed the man, maybe go look that up because it, it, it was shed extreme. some light. Say what? <laughs> it was extreme. Oh, it was like, like it shed some light on the kind of dysfunction that that Sega was going through at that time. But, yeah, um, I think that Saturn was just was going to be doomed regardless. It could have at least been less of a miserable failure. Yeah, it could have been more like it was in Japan. Yeah, because I mean it's also badly marketed and yeah, like badly distributed. Like they pissed off a bunch of retailers just by virtue of only giving three retailers early Saturns in June of 1995 Ugh. when no games were out. Let's go get a Saturn. What's available? Mist and Clockwork Night. Take your pick. Ugh. Oh, also Ugh. Bug. I used to have that port of Mist. Oh, uh, that's not a good part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
US. Let me get the full list of games available on the Saturn at launch in North America. Okay. Uh, so it launched in May 11th, 1995, which you might notice if you don't if you don't remember this period is a stupid as hell time to be launching anything really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Saturns were only available. Uh, let's see, they released 30,000, uh, Sega Saturns, uh, to Toys R Us, Babbage's electronics boutique and software, etc. Wow. Uh, three of those are now one company. <laughs> three of those are now one company, and one of them doesn't exist anymore. Uh, actually, uh, it, it does. It got oh, revived. yeah, but not, in Amer- not as it once was. Right. Uh, but basically, this meant that, one, what the fuck are you doing releasing 30,000 units? And being like, yeah, that's fine. It's normal. And then, two... Like every other, like the biggest retailers, like Walmart, were like, "Dude, what the fuck? We we are your retailer retail partners too." And so they, a lot of them, ended up just making larger spaces for PlayStation, which was going to properly launch at the time the Saturn had been announced. It was going to be launching. <laughs> so it's like, uh, sure. And also, you know, of course, the Saturn was $100 more expensive than the PS1, and it's incredibly complicated. Motherboard meant that it was very hard to do revisions that would make it cheaper to manufacture. So when Sega had to sell you a Saturn, they couldn't really drop the price, so they just had to start bundling in most of its game, most of the games that mattered. So, like, by 1998, you're getting a Saturn that has Virtua Fighter 2, Daytona, Nights into Dreams, and possibly Daytona. a fourth game. But yeah. Uh, oh, unrelated. If you've never listened to the soundtrack of Daytona USA 2, do it right now. Go li- go listen to Slingshot and listen to a man. Listen to the Daytona man yell uh, that you have no choice but to race. There's no escape. Uh, anyway, guys, I've got about five minutes left before I need to be out the door. So okay. anything, anything to finish off with here? Uh, uh, there was one question I saw Aria Aria put in about Pokemon. I thought it was uh-huh. interesting. Okay, yeah. Uh, hold on, let me grab the exact question from Discord. Uh, controversial question. Lower your pitchforks. Would you consider Pokemon stagnant? If yes, what should be done to improve it? Not really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. you could have made that argument better with Generation 4. Yeah. But then they took all of the major complaints about Generation 4 and made black and white, which was a much better and less stagnant situation. Yes, and still regarded yeah. by many as the best, I think. Although, yeah. my I disagree. And it, it's certainly one of the highlights of the series. But no, I mean, Pokemon and Dragon Quest are both in the interesting position where a lot of their draw is the stuff that you would describe as stagnant because it's a very slow evolution of game function. If you actually, like, look at them over time, it's like there's actually a lot... Like, they're still very recognizably, like, descendant, but, like, there's actually a lot of stuff that you don't think about 
that ends up making the old ones feel very different and very archaic comparatively. Yeah. Like um like the uh physical special split on attacks where physical I remember I remember in for, I think it was fourth gen where they actually decided to split them up individually by uh, by move. Yeah, that was when they cut that Gordian knot. Yeah, and I remember there was a big to-do in the fan community about whether or not this was a good idea. It was one of those things where, like, it took them... There were growing pains with doing it, but it was also definitely the thing they had to do. Yeah. I mean, most of the people who were really, really against it were basically against change of anything. Yeah. And everyone else is like, yay, Feraligator actually becomes more competitive now. <laughs> yeah, there were tons of Pokemon that were, like, statted in such a way that, like... They couldn't possibly use their core element because their core element, like, oh, this is a, this is a, like, this is a Pokemon, this is a fire Pokemon with a great physical strength stat. Okay, its fire type is completely useless. <laughs> yeah, it was water type that was like that. I mean, what? like, it was a lot of types, if we're being yeah. honest. I remember for alligators specifically because it was a very, very, very physically oriented monster and water attacks were all special. Yeah. And it had... It had, like, no special attack stat to speak of. Yeah, there's a bunch of fire types like that as well, but water type would also be very easy to highlight because that's, like, one in eight Pokemon or water. It's, like, the most common type. Yeah. Certainly, like, these most common type in Pearl and Platinum. Or, <laughs> so. Oh, boy. But yeah, yeah. that's a different issue, yeah. But, yeah, like, I, I would say that, like, I, I think that people... When they buy Pokemon games, they want Pokemon games. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, you'll note that the, the sales of the series have almost nothing at this point to do with, like, how much people are up in arms about them. They're always about, like, well, how popular is the platform they're on right now? Yeah. Like, people were super up in arms about Sword and Shield, but they've sold markedly better than the 3ds ones yeah and it's just like peep there's evidently a rep at the very least rep replenishing audience that just wants to play pokemon yeah and mm -hmm. really the if you look at kind of like you, you were saying a lot of the minutiae of the series has improved as things goes on and really just look at go play sun and moon and then go back and play just two generations black and white and tell me you can't see lots of market improvement in, yeah they've in been many areas like come on. they've actually been kind of actively responding to this criticism quite a bit and they've also been doing kind of an interesting like one-on one-off uh pattern i've noticed where like they'll do a a more like baseline traditional pokemon and then they'll do a more experimental one yeah. so like Black and white are kind of an experimental one because they, like, threw out the ability to use any of your prior Pokemon that you'd ever used before. Like, the only Pokemon game you're ever going to play where Pikachu is restricted to post-game. Uh, yeah. Or, like... No, uh, he does show up as a topiary bush in one town. He first. does, but you can't use him. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... Or, uh, whereas, like, you get... Or, like, they... And they did some, like, radical reinvention about, like how TMs worked and just generally uh, the the structure and flow felt very unique in Gen 5 and sort of like they did 
kind of a more radical idea about what the story could be about. And then Gen 6 was a more back-to-basic sort of game. Uh, and then, you know, Gen 7 was a bit more out there. It's, you know, it, like gyms are gone and you're kind of uh, in a very different kind of environment than you've ever been in a Pokemon game before. It's a, it's a very unique uh, one. And like and HMs don't exist uh, anymore. And it introduced regional variants. Yeah, regional variants. Like a lot of new ideas get thrown in there. And then like Gen 8 is like still, you know, definitely doing its own thing, but it's a bit more of a traditional Pokemon experience. Yeah. And I would expect that... I, I, I would think that on some level their thought process is that the first game on a new system should be a game that very much feels in line with what people expect when they say, there's a new Pokemon game out. Yeah. And, and then once you've got something that fulfills that need, then you make a weirder Pokemon game. Yeah. Um, Conquest 2! Pokemon <laughs> Conquest 2, yes. I, when I, will Nobunaga's ambition be fulfilled? Oh, no, don't even do it with Nobunaga. Do it with Hundred Years War. Oh, heavens. So your character is John Dark with a, an Eevee. Oh, man. Think of all nice. the ways that John Dark could go. This could be fun. Anyway, guys, I've got a class starting in about 20 minutes and a 10-minute okay. bike ride to do it in. So, see you. See, see you, guy, John. Okay. Tell me if you cover any more questions. I'll mark them off. Sure. Okay. okay, bye. The beat uh, of my I'm just going to say that uh, they obviously realized that like the audience for Sword and Shield was going to be a lot of new players, so I'm sure they didn't want, really didn't want to do anything too crazy. Or waste their time programming in the entire Pokedex. Yeah, and like they'll they'll cycle them back in. Like they they also I can definitely, it w I would definitely imagine that they want to get people used to the idea of like, no, these Pokemon are not gone forever. No, they won't all be in the same game necessarily anymore. Yeah, and I like the approach of the next DLC that's coming out. That's just bring here's back a bunch all, of them back well here's all the legendaries like those are the ones those know, the ones that, that were always a pain to get yeah and those are, those i think are important to bring forward whereas you know we don't need to bring forward every single bird that's ever been uh put there, in the game, there will be future games where you can have your beloved uh uh what is a bird whose name um, i'm forgetting like, all of them are just Pidgeys in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> Something Beak, Trumbeak. Uh, Trumbeak? Knocked Owl? I don't know. Yeah, there is a Trumbeak. Birdemon? We'll go with Trumbeak. Birdemon. Trumbeak will be back someday. <laughs> but what about Oh, yeah, that's the one that evolved into Toucanon. <laughs> that explains it. Toucanon's a much better name. That's why I remember it better. But... Yeah, like all these, all these kind of, you know, that you need to sort of get players used to the idea of like we're gonna do our best to get as many of these Pokemon in as possible, but some of them won't be in every game, and that's fine. All right. Feel the heartbeat of my machine. Sorry, I've, I've just got slingshot stuck in my head. Yeah, and kind of the other thing about Sword and Shield is just. Uh, all the online elements, I think, are a lot bigger than anyone who hasn't really dug into the game realize. They're much more flushed out than I yeah. expected. So, 
Yeah, Pokemon is not stagnant, and if you think it is, maybe it's just not for you, which is... Or even, like, here's okay. something that I, re- I recommend to a lot of people when they're talking about, like, oh, I'm not really feeling the new installment. Just, just sit it out for a few installments. Yeah. They make a lot of Pokemon games, and you're really not supposed to buy all of them. Yeah, I had to do that after, um, well, I'm, for quite a while, but... For, like, four generations. Yes, but I mean, Diamond and Pearl really soured me on things for quite a while. Yeah, I like them, but, you know, they are a less popular generation, except to those who grew up with it, much like Ruby Sapphire Emerald was. Yeah. Um, uh, Oh, man, that's that's been a weird discourse to sort of watch play out, because, like, Ruby Sapphire Emerald for a very long time were... The consensus worst ones. And then, like, the kids who grew up with those uh, grew up and, like, you know, became very, you know, ardent defenders of the things they'd grown up with and really enjoyed. And, you know, that's that's normal. That's fair. And they had things that they appreciated about those games. Then immediately turned around and started uh, shit-talking Gen 4. I'm just sort of... (laughs) Waiting for the children who grew up with Gen 4 to really assert their presence. Yeah. Because, woo boy, those games sold a lot. Yep. So, there are definitely children for whom that was their first Pokemon, and for whom that will always be their favorite. <laughs> yeah. Well, as let me talk about my first Pokemon, Red and Blue, and man, I, am I glad that they ditched many, many elements from that game. That was like, most mostly just stuff they pulled over from other the typical JRPG stuff. Yeah, there's like, there's a lot that's not not great about those. Yeah, like dungeons. I don't need dungeons. In Pokemon, has actually dungeons. gotten better at doing dungeons over yeah, the years. But you, the type of dungeons they had in that game, like going back and replaying. How those do you games, feel about uh, mazes? Uh, replaying that game. Um, for the Let's Go series with the kids was not great. <laughs> Did you get to like the essentially tele? It was not really a teleporter puzzle, but it was like the conveyor belt puzzle. Yes. And it, Let me uh, guess, that didn't work out well. I hated it. I hated it. I'm not surprised. But yeah, like it's you know it's interesting. Like I I think that. There's actually a lot more variety in the series than people give it credit for. And I also think that it's okay. Like, I, I think that people tend to feel a strange obligation to these things. And they really, really should. Yeah. Like, if you're not having fun, just stop. I promise. You, you'll be happier that way. I was talking to someone who was like, yeah, they were talking about playing like Horizon Zero Dawn. They were like, yeah, I played it for like a long time and I really enjoyed it, but I never actually finished it and I feel bad about it. And it's like, no, you don't owe the game. If you if you had fun and you decided that you didn't want, feel like keeping playing, stop. That is what will give you the best experience with the game rather yes. than forcing yourself to treat a game like work. Seriously. Like, if you're not feeling it, set it down. You will you will eventually, if you really do still enjoy these, you will eventually get the urge to do it again. <laughs> and then, oh, guess what? There's still a game I haven't played. 
Yeah, like Horizon Zero Dawn is a game I like a lot that's full of open world garbage I hate. So I can <laughs> completely picture someone just like bouncing off that game and I wouldn't blame them for it. Because they didn't even bounce off this. They were just like, Yeah, I played a bunch of I, I explored the world, which is what I wanted, but I felt bad that I didn't actually finish the story and it's like So <laughs> Okay. Come back to it later when you feel like it, or don't. Like as long you got you had fun. That's yeah. all that matters. You don't owe this game anything. No. Nope. <laughs> uh, the main character, what's her name, is not going to jump out of the screen and yell at you for not seeing how I think her story. Her name's comes Aloy. Out. I'm going to guess her name's Aloy. Yeah. Aloy or Alloy, whatever. It's spelled A L O Y, so I'm assuming it's Aloy. Yeah. Feel the heartbeat of my machine. Oh, that song won't leave my head. Um, Looking forward to that sequel of that game, which I hope ditches uh, lots of open world garbage that has no place in the game. Say what? Uh, I have high hopes for the sequel, but also hope that they ditch lots of garbage that was in the first game. Oh, and Horizon Two Dawns, I forget what its actual name is. Yeah, Beyond Forbidden West, West. Right? Forbidden West. Oh, Forbidden West. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's Ubisoft Towers have a lot to answer for. I'm just gonna put that out there. Yeah. They they're not always bad. See Breath of the Wild, but a lot of games use bad. them without thinking about how they fit in their design and what right. they want their design to accomplish. Which does remind me, I have been, I just, like, flipped, flicked on uh, a random Assassin's Creed game. It's like a, I'm tired, I'm just going to play something that I don't have to care that much about. <laughs> and Assassin's Creed Rogue fits the bill. Yeah, I saw that pop up in my Switch notifications. and just like, huh. Okay. Random, but okay. It was one of those things, like, I want to not care about what I'm playing that much. I, I'm sure we all get that sometimes, where it's like, let's just play something that, like, I'll have fun with it, but I feel absolutely no obligation to it. Yeah. And, like, that's what I've been doing. Uh, it's, it's fine. It's, uh... Badly written, as all Assassin's Creed games are. <laughs> Other than, like, Origins, I guess. It's the only one I can speak for is like, oh, I sympathize with the people who are, who are in this, and I understand why they do what they do. What are you talking about? <laughs> Assassin's Creed 3 is a finely written game. I can't even, I can't even finish that sentence. I'm always so frustrated that, like, they backed away from elements that would have made Connor so much more human yes because they were afraid of making him seem angry to their audience there's like this really great monologue that he had at the end of the game about like just sort of questioning whether his what he had done with his life had been worthwhile mm. and it's just like this is the most human that you have been like you are rightly angry given the outcome of this game for you yeah and they cut that because they didn't want to grapple with that so they didn't uh, then why then why choose the subject matter if you're not gonna like why because it'll be soft. <sighs> um 
Like, if, if that's the direction you're going to go, then just make the protagonist some generic white white colonist, for, for F's sake. Like, come on. Yeah. If, if you aren't willing to grapple with the implications yeah. of your protagonist. Like, you, you, you went so far. You had... You had... You're using, like, the authentic language, showing the crazy authentic name that's... Maybe not to find that as crazy, but the authentic... Yeah, apologies. I didn't didn't mean it that way. From our yeah, like it, perspective, it's it seems like a strange name. But it, it is a name that you are you are aware that your audience is going to stumble over, and thus give him an anglicized name that he uses when characters in the game stumble over his name. Yes, like I was extremely impressed and happy with that. Just like all of that, and then to just kind of do really nothing with all of that it was just it's a, it's wasted sad. potential because I, I think that it's legitimately one of the most interesting protagonist content concepts they've ever really gone for and like i think that if it had been done properly it would probably still be the shining star of the series absolutely absolutely Also, thankfully, they at least did hire a native voice actor. So that was yeah. That's something. It's something, but it still makes the whole thing just seem worse. Like it makes it feel worse that they didn't, that they weren't, that they were too cowardly to actually go full yeah. all the way through. Just frustrating. It's a. Fr- it's. A, I, I feel like something that I think about a lot is. If there wasn't so much potential in a lot of games, I wouldn't be so angry at them. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you hear me really getting angry about a game, it's usually, like, especially years after release. Like, if it's not even a game that I've freshly replayed or something, like, if it's just something that pops into my mind and I'm just upset by it, the answer is always, because I can see that there's something really good in here that you, yeah. that you screwed up somewhere. Like just, what has happened to the native people in North America over the years is just tragic. And one of the ways that we could, I think, small ways we could start to replay the, the bare just, minimum that we owe. Yes, the bare minimum that we owe is to like properly show what they went through, or and. Like if sure. we're if we're going to use a fictional context like this to explore this, you have to explore it. Yeah, exactly. And like they they chicken out, and it's just frustrating. Yeah. Man, we all having our yearly like just being really upset about uh, Assassin's I, Creed Three. I think this is the second time this year, actually. But... Listen, it's felt like twelve years. This year. Yeah, it's fine. It it still burns. It it really does. The soul still burns, but yeah, like it's yeah. And there's still a lot I like about that game. It's so frustrating. Yeah. And and, and the sad part is, it's still like more than. I think almost any game is done for native people. It's so sad. The only ones I can think of, like, these would be very different... uh, These would be very different uh, contexts, because they're serving... 
a very different, uh, like, you know, different uh, native tribes, but the the game Never Alone is probably the most... Uh, I don't think I've heard of that. Never Alone was, I believe, actually commissioned by, or at least in part, like, there was some huge amount of, like, actual... Uh, Okay, game was the result of a partnership between the Cook Inlet Tribal Council and Eline Media, hmm. uh, and it was it was a game that was designed to uh, tell. I'm I'm not going to be able to. I've never heard this word spoken out loud, uh, but it's Alaska. The the natives of Alaska. Okay. Uh, and it was you know it was, uh, you know. It's based off of a traditional uh, story, uh, first recorded by you know a st- you know first properly recorded in a collection stories of the Black River people. Uh, I, excuse me, first recorded in English in that, uh, but that is probably the most like native. Uh, specific thing that I like North American native specific thing I can think of. I'm definitely gonna have to check that out then. Uh, it's it's a puzzle platformer. It's really good from everything I've been able to tell. Uh, uh, yeah it's I, I mean I'd love to see more things like that, especially after playing Raji, just getting to experience uh, yeah. like different myths. Different perspectives. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Like, I've I've made this argument before. If you want games to innovate, you should be celebrating diversity in yeah, game development. Yeah, diversity is the spice of life. But yeah, so you know, like even if even if it's not, if you can't, like, work up the individual like commitment to well, everyone should be able to be involved in this industry you should at the very least be like well i want games to be to give me new experiences and yeah. that's how you do it yeah so that's yeah i i wish that assassin's creed 3 were better and that's why me and wheels will continue to yell to just curse the sky about it approximately once every nine months yeah until the end of time Especially Burns, considering how good Origin is as well. That's such a good game. Yeah. And like, I I think Vikings are pretty cool, but Valhalla yeah. is less interesting to me. <laughs> I just I, uh, I I loved world history when I was younger. Uh, if you haven't heard me before, I want to be an Egyptologist at one point. <laughs> so that's fair. I mean. Egypt's cool. Yeah, Egypt's <laughs> really cool. Um, but man, I just there's just so many different different points in history I'd love to series to explore, and they keep like just that's, going that's for one the, of the lowest common think, thing. We're just gonna we're just gonna rant about Assassin's Creed yeah, for a little fine. while since it's now officially an RPG. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that I think is why people get frustrated when Assassin's Creed doesn't really go with an interesting setting or perspective is that it's one of the few series that's kind of made that its identity. Yeah. And for them to repeatedly go back to what's going on in Europe? 
going on in Europe? Let's see what's going on there. Yeah. Like, is that like there's so many like Renaissance or medieval Europe, not necessarily set, but styled games. Yeah. Like I'm sure Odyssey is awesome. I just picked it up for ten dollars now that I'm on a but Greek, Greek is well kick. trodden. Yeah, you you couldn't do a game like that with like literally anything else. It had to be Greece, really. I figured Greece would sell. I remember like there's always this like within the series. There's always this Garbo running joke of like the so this is, this is gonna show that I've been playing a lot of these at various times in my life. So the the company. Abstergo in Assassin's Creed has over time evolved into seemingly a rueful critique of Assass- of Ubisoft itself. <laughs> like it it is a super dysfunctional company that is making Assassin's Creed games. Except that in universe they're doing it as like a front for like the stupid Forever War plot that's going on in the background of Assassin's Creed, and that they're just plumbing through memories to just find like video games to sell. Which there's a uh, there's a lot to that metaphor, for being honest, because yep. of how Ubisoft's treating world history. But uh, like the. I'm trying to think, like, where was I going at the start of this sentence? I've, I've gone in, like, three different directions. But, like, one of the running things that they do, like, every time is that, like, they... Like, every time that you see, like, Abstergo talking about, like, possible future games, they, they always, like, knock the idea of, like, a set, like ninja game in the trash. Like oh that's a like that's a bad idea for X Y and Z and it's just like I don't even think that you think that Ninja is a bad idea I think that you think East Asian setting is a bad idea because you think that the audience won't go for it and I don't think you're right. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima says you're wrong. <laughs> Ghost of Tsushima, which has a lot of Assassin's Creed DNA in it, um, yeah, it's just one of those things like. A lot of companies work on this idea of like, well, I got it in my head that no one wants this, and I don't trust anyone else. I mean, but yeah, the whole thing is at this point, this is an extremely popular series. I assume assume it still sells very well. Oh, it does. So they will, they will probably go for whatever setting you, you can choose. Pull the, you have the capacity to pull the audience to things that they might not otherwise have played. You have the power. You just Don't did, just turn them into cheap downloadable things. Did you ever see the... the so you just did Egypt, and it worked out fine. What the fuck? <laughs> did you ever see the, the three like mini ones that they made that were like Prince yes. of Pers- 2D Prince of Persia-style trout? platformers and i remember looking at them and like look at how cool these settings are are those any like good? the what are those any good uh, i think that they're as i recall pretty mediocre yeah. but it's just frustrating because it's like look at how cool like that go look at like a trailer for like china or india or russia yeah. all of those look awesome all of those have such a beautiful setting and it's like think of what you could do with those, and that you won't. 
because you're just sort of like, well, what if the audience doesn't buy it? Like, they'll buy it. They don't. They they want, like, weird, crazy places they haven't seen done in the kind of fidelity you do. But, I mean, like, it's it's Ubisoft. So, you know, they're, they've got a lot of problems recently. Yeah. Yeah. My only hope is that hopefully Yves Guillemot resigns at some stage and hopefully better leadership ends up happening. I don't believe it will, but I, I hope. It's not, <laughs> it's not the French way, my friend. American way. It's not really the capitalist way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'll probably get suckered into Valhalla because, well, there's a PlayStation 5. <laughs> yeah. Whatever is going on with the company, they have managed to attract lots of good talent. So I'm yeah, sure definitely. Valhalla will be fine. But <sighs> come on. Come on. <laughs> Like, Norse is currently sort of having its, like, vogue point. Yeah. In... You're, like, one step behind God of War. Come on. <sighs> God of War. Those games. Those games. But yeah. Like, it's currently sort of the, the trendy, like, well, at least it's not Greek. <laughs> well, maybe Greek will be back in vogue now with Hades. Kind of doing a better version of Greece, I must say. And it's doing, it's doing, it's pulling with some more obscure shit just by virtue of using Zagreus. Yeah. Well, that, and it's making, like, all the gods and such not just all white dudes, which I guess is more, probably more historically accurate, too. I mean, Greco-Roman, like, whenever you're talking about them, you're basically talking about... Yeah both by virtue of the fact that we got most of our information about Greece from Rome. But, uh, big empires, a lot of people in them. Yep. A lot of these also ended up being gods collated from local places. They were like, yeah, that's probably like ours. They're probably <laughs> the same dude. Might even look like them. <laughs> so you get a lot of them. And also, they they were gods. They could look like whatever. So, you know. You got a lot of... You can make them not all look like a marble statue in both style and color. <laughs> uh, we've had, we've had a, clearly had a lot of frustration working right now. Yes, it's fine. Yeah, yeah I I'm pretty sure we have done this once this year, although I don't think it was this in-depth. Yeah, yeah. And now, and it was before even more Ubisoft stuff blew up. Yeah, but I wasn't even talking about Ubisoft and yes. at that point. I yeah, was just true. talking about, like, yeah, we're, we're clearly working through some stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, at this point, I hope that everyone who's listening is aware of the kinds of people that we are. Yes. Uh, uh, before we close out, was there anything else you wanted to bring up? Um, if anyone out there knows of any games developed by uh, Native American creators, please, please let me know, because I would love to check them out. I would be interested in hearing these as well. Yeah. Uh, you can put those in the Discord, or you can put them in the comments section. Or you can send them to us through DM. We, we just want to hear about them. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, it's, what was I thinking about? What? Has anything happened since the last time we recorded that's worth talking about? 
week two weeks a week eight days uh nothing off the top of my head it's been pretty quiet because it's mostly just run up to those new consoles yep the the inevitable and imminent oh the the the, we should maybe briefly touch on the the psn store uh website redesign oh i haven't even seen the redesign i just know it's not up there yet i'm just saying they announced it yeah Uh, psp games. games are gone baby the only way to get them now will be to download them via the PS3 and transfer them. Ugh. I hate Sony. Uh, I, w- I would suspect that the PS3 and Vita stores will probably be gone inside of a year. No, it's fine, guys. Digital games are the future. It's going to be great. The future is the past. Yes. Yeah, most of my... Uh, I rarely get more digital games than I can keep on a memory card. <laughs> Yeah. Gee, I wonder why. But, yeah. So, you know. Glad that that Cadence of Hyrule game was getting a physical release. Yeah, it would be sad to see that disappear into the ether in 10 years. So, uh, Limited Run. Yeah. Limited Run, if you're listening. You're probably not. Um, You have done some nice releases of Supergiant games in the past. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, get me uh, Hades on a cart. Thank you. Please and thank you. That feels and that will I feel it is inevitable that will see a physical. Yeah, release. they just usually. I don't know if it'll be a limited run one, but I feel like it will inevitably get a physical release. Yeah, they'll probably wait till you know more patches and content and stuff. So. Yeah, because they usually like to get, like the most up to date version possible on yeah. their cards. The one time that hasn't happened, which I was kind of surprised about, was with uh, Risk of Rain. They released that huh. as physical versions for all the consoles. Uh, before, while it was like technically still in like early access on PC, like the consoles still haven't received the quote-unquote release patch that PC has yet. It's pretty weird, but yeah. Usually those wait until kind of the digital version is sort of mostly done with, with new content, which makes mm. sense. But yes, I want Hades in a cart, please, someone. Thank you. Please and thank you. I feel like that's inevitable. Yeah, I agree. I suppose uh, it hasn't happened with Pyre, although maybe that will eventually. Yeah. I, I looked it up and saw, like, uh, Supergiant, Supergiant Games does not have plans to port Pyre to the Switch yet. <laughs> Yes, we'll see. But I mean, like, Bastion was an XBLA-only game for quite a long while, and then yeah. ultimately found its way to other consoles and where it got a physical release, so... I wouldn't be too worried. I think that about wraps us up, though. I think so, yeah. Questions in the usual place. Um, Hades questions for me in the usual place. <laughs> Although, just go on the podcast section of the Discord. Although I should note, if you have Haiti questions, I can't help you with any weapons but the shield and the bow. Because I am 
terrible with most of the close-range weapons. They also go in the comment section. Thank you to everyone who asked questions and, uh, that we, and we're sorry if we missed yours and haven't answered it yet. We yes. will get back to yours, uh, area, and we we did get back to yours, Berserk Alucard. We're sorry it took so long, uh, and thanks, Desired Fire Miner, for your in, invaluable deluge of questions. Yes. Uh, since Gaijin partially was able to plug but did not complete the plug, I will finish that off for him. Uh, Princess is a Pizza Parlor. Uh, I believe there are nine volumes currently out, split into three physical collections, one of which may not be out yet. Uh, they are available through Amazon. You can get them on Kindle. I think they're on Kindle Unlimited, I assume. Uh, and you can find them by searching for Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-C-U. So yeah, there's your second-hand plug. Less good and accurate than the first-hand one. But I didn't want to force Wales to try to find and edit that in. So, uh, otherwise, I think that runs oh. us out of... Hmm? Oh, one last plug. I don't think I've yeah. ever actually plugged on here. Uh, you search for Adventures in Platforming on YouTube sometime. Uh, Eventually, we might do another episode. Yes, I would want to get back to that soon to do Crash 4 and... It play, is about time. ...play through some horrific um, Mario Maker 2 levels that have been sent to me. Oh, sweet. Okay. Well, at least I don't have to play them. Um... I might play them in solidarity. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so Wheels has a YouTube series, Adventures in Platforming, that we do very spor sporadically, if any of you are interested in seeing that. Uh, YouTube's your pal. Uh, there's probably other things that come up for Adventures in Platforming, but uh, let me just double-check and see what searching that gets me. Well, you can see that I'm uh, dying inside because, uh, okay, yeah, it's uh, still available on uh, your uh, your YouTube channel, which is Ask Wheels. <laughs> Sweet. Man, was that really six months ago? Oh, God. Sorry, I just saw Ori. Yeah, we've fallen a bit behind. We always do. We'll get back. And oh god, we have to do the SpongeBob game. Yeah, it's not even a bad game. <laughs> I should grab a copy of that. It's um, you'll uh, have was there anything else platformy that came out this year? Uh, is that Sackboy looking weirdness coming yeah, soon? I'm not playing that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, I didn't like Little Big Planet either. Uh that Yuji Naka one that's uh, been announced. There is, of course, the Mario collection. But I oh, think we yeah. may have played one or more of those. <laughs> uh, we think we did Galaxy 2. Okay, well then you have to do Galaxy 1 now. Yeah. Lucky you. Uh, okay, Balan Wonderland isn't until next year. That's Yuji Naka's that's the Square, Square Enix one. one. Okay. Oh, they got together Yuji Naka and Naoto Oshima again. Nice. You may know Naoto Oshima as the designer of Sonic the Hedgehog. Also Blinks the Time Sweeper. Oh. Listen, Blinks is not a bad design. 
They just marketed him with DreamWorks face. That game is backwards compatible. <laughs> it is, baby. <sighs> also only on Xbox as part of its logo. That's weird. Right, Blanks gonna... is not as bad as people make it out. I'm gonna I'm gonna track down a copy of that game. Okay. I I will have fun watching you play with Blanks the Time Sweeper. And yes, people, I know I can just buy it on XBLA, but it, it will be f- more entertaining to have a physical copy of that thing in my hand. Uh, find the Japanese Blanks the Time Sweeper box art, see if it's less DreamWorks-y. Okay. What was that other just... platforming series on Xbox? That got, like, was there another one? There's a bunch of other platformers yeah. on Xbox, but they aren't really series. They just happen. I feel like there was one that had got like three games. God. You can't think of one like that. Oh, he's really cute on the Japanese cover. Um, this is this is gonna. I'm sorry for prolonging the show, folks, but this is gonna drive me nuts. And now I need to. How do you feel this. about Voodoo Benson? Was that is that good? I've I've known people who enjoyed it. Okay, okay, Xbox, listen. <laughs> Your naming scheme makes it that when I search for platformers on Xbox, it does not give me what I'm looking for. Platformers on original Xbox? I know a lot of original Xbox platformers, but they all have names like, you know, Voodoo Vents or uh, Torque Prehistoric Punk. It's just something sticking in my brain, and I can't Are you thinking of Tide of Tasmanian Tiger? I don't think so. Because that's not Xbox exclusive at all. Yeah. Time Sweeper, Toe Jam and Earl. Tack and the Power of Juju. Here we go. I have the list of every Xbox game. That seems like too many. Are you going to sort by genre? No, I'm going to search for the number three. This will work well. That's not going to help. I'm sorry. question is does it have platformer as a genre yes Rayman 3 tie 3 was there a sequel to Blinks yeah Blinks 2 Masters of Time and Space okay you can play as a cat or a pig Looks like Blinks doesn't even show up under the platformer. That's odd. Yeah. Alright, we're gonna have to go back to name. Dark City. You can make your own cat or and your own pig in Blinks too. That's weird. It's important. Where's some of the other platforms? Vex. That wasn't Xbox only, and nope. that only was one game. Yep. I need you to understand I have a near encyclopedic knowledge of this era of video games. Yeah. I mean, I may just be thinking of Ty. could just be that. Ty the Tasmanian Tiger, Attack and the Power, Juju. Both have three or four games in them. Neither is Xbox exclusive. Both are profoundly forgettable. 
Yeah, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to further derail the end of the show. Yeah, we're done. We all just toasted. Um, but yeah, uh, questions go in the podcast section or they go in the comments section. Uh, we appreciate all of your questions and comments and all of your feedback in general. Please continue listening. We really appreciate it. And see you, Space Cowboys. I got seven pictures of Buddha, the prophets on my tongue, 11 angels of mercy sign on that black hole.